I was gonna I was either gonna start with the MGM deal or um, telling you about our <laughs> fabulous Cruella premiere party. <laughs> yes, Cruella premiere party. I don't give a shit about um, MGM deal. <laughs> no, it's a complete joke. We didn't do a fucking okay. premiere party. <laughs> well, make it up quick. Yeah, I will. Let's I will. yes right. and let's yes and this bitch. Yes, let's improv this bitch. <laughs> yeah. Logitech. This is this is good because I only had um film twitter topics that just annoyed me yesterday <laughs> oh no oh yeah. no i was actually i was i was impressed i was off twitter all day yesterday didn't look at and it I, once and you missed nothing so good for you yes sweet sweet i forget one was um a poll about who is the worst director um, not not the How worst many director. options are we allowed to have so we only allowed four options like obviously not the worst director because that mm -hmm. there are hundreds on youtube right now but um <laughs> No, they were between George Lucas, Zack Snyder, Michael Bay, and J.J. Abrams. So I'm trying to figure out the connective tissue between all three. Like, like that's not really a, a good point of comparison besides just four in-demand, quote-unquote, blockbuster Direct filmmakers. Yeah, like, well, I don't it, it depends. It, it devolved into, like, you're looking at three artists, if you yeah. can deign to call <laughs> Zack Snyder, Michael Bay, and even, gosh, George Lucas, artists. And then you have J.J. Abrams as, like, the 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 plucky imitator, the mm. the kid, to, like, you know, yeah. hanging his, uh, his action figures together <laughs> in an imitation of, which, admittedly, is how uh, Christopher Nolan said he got his start. Like, um... When, That's how all of us got our starts. Yeah. I, I love doing that as a kid. I love doing that when I was like 17 years old. <laughs> Great. Oh, and goodness, Greg, did I throw just a rager of a Cruella premiere party. I don't know what you had planned for your Cruella premiere party, but we got a bunch of friends together because we obviously weren't going to pay $30 individually to watch for the joy of watching Cruella at home. But Absolutely. oh man, did we throw a, a mess. It was like our Super Bowl party. It was our it was our Oscars watch party for the year. We had themed cocktails. We got on our most punk rock outfits. It was amazing. <laughs> well, maybe you did. I, I'm the square of the bunch so it feels good to, it feels good to dress in a tuxedo again i haven't done that in over 15 mm. months um it feels also good that um we had choices on who was vaccinated and who wasn't at the party so that's good mm, that's go. also important Excellent. yeah did you put the did you put the vaccinated people in the corner did you like draw a little no, piece of white tape no, and said like everyone, this is the anti-vax corner <laughs> no everybody was treated equal at french laundry uh in napa valley so <laughs> that's where we had our party i don't know where you had yours but again everyone was treated equal and it was fine. oh we had it in our yeah. massive, you know, two-story loft apartment, Greg. You know, we oh, live in okay. fabulous downtown San Diego, of course. So, you know, the, the most punk rock city there is, okay? When people think about punk rock, as as typified by Cruella de Vil in this new Disney movie, you know, that's what people think. Yeah, I want to say, obviously, the star, the, the initial star of the show was your wonderful party planning and accoutrement that you brought mm. to the celebration. Yes. But um, obviously, what, over, what overtook your star was of course the the film itself i believe um <laughs> Oh, we didn't even watch it. We just had it on the background because oh, we were too I busy gabbing. Too busy gabbing like gals being camp queens, bitch. Okay. <laughs> Wait, are you saying that you didn't uh, stand at attention when you learned her tragic backstory on why she hates Dalmatian so much? <laughs> you know what? Everyone was guessing it. You know, that's the thing about twists. It's like you can see it coming a mile away, unfortunately. 
I mean, up until this point, everyone the the internet was a buzz. Like, oh, I cannot wait for this Cruella Deville um, uh, uh, prequel. So now we can learn her tragic backstory on why she hates Dalmatians. And the writers, the genius writers behind the you know the, the House of Mouse, you know the Brain Trust, figured out just the most complex and and most uh, layered uh, reason why she hates Dalmatians, which is Dalmatians <laughs> killed her mother. Of course, yeah, obviously. So, spoiler alert: <laughs> if you're upset that I spoiled a movie for children for you, so. <laughs> Well, I'm sorry, John. Well, you were gallivanting and <laughs> trying to celebrate the latest triumph from Disney. Um, I, I was doing the work, and I was mm. uh, figuring out through my head um, the reason Cruella Deville or the Cruella movie, not Cruella Deville, but just Cruella. It's cleaner. Mm. The reason it exists is not just to sell uh, dresses and uh, other hot topic items to scenesters and convention goers. Yes, uh, it is also. Because they're running out of IP to do live-action remakes. Heaven forfend, Greg. The very idea that you think the House of Mouse, again, the, the dream factory, the idea factory, would be running out. Okay, why else would Disney need to buy Marvel? It needed to buy Star Wars. It needed to buy the Muppets because, of course, they just can't help but generate more. They had too many ideas. Yes. So they're like, guys, guys from Marvel, guys from Star Wars, please help us rein it in because we're, we're just we're bursting forth. We can't help but come up with new IPs, so we need you to help us, you know, rein us in for, for our, our massive creativity, obviously. <laughs> yeah, but John, we need to get in those meetings, so let's let's first parse, let's game plan here. Okay, um, pitch, once we do elevator pitch. Meetings. 15 yeah, seconds, so, go. Yeah, so, well, so now, what is the next live-action remake they can do? Obviously, they took this angle because nobody wants to see another live-action 101 Dalmatians. Um, they're not going to do 103 Dalmatians at this point with Glenn Coe's coming back. Um, instead, we're doing our, our dark um, Alice in Wonderland vision. So how, what can we apply to that? How, how can we twist that around? And um, I had the most obvious answer, and that is, of course, Lilo and Stitch. This time oh. translated, not from glamorous Hawaii, but instead to uh, Victorian England um, <laughs> at Pinewood Studios, where we can actually film. <laughs> there, was, there was this great article on Polygon a few uh, weeks ago. It was like, are you watching The Irregulars, or are you watching The Nevers? <laughs> Which are both, you know, Victorian <laughs> legend set films, you know, X-Men knockoffs. <laughs> so... <laughs> Here's how you can tell them apart. So yes, you're you're right. It is, it is quite the trend right now. Um, I thought for I'm kind of surprised we weren't on the same page on this, Greg. Obviously, as me and you have been the biggest boosters of reviving this property that Disney owns for the longest time, it's finally time for Disney to resurrect a live-action, gritty version of The Rescuers, okay? First of all, the first yes. one already takes place in Louisiana, which is cheap to film in. Yeah. You know, you can make it, like, voodoo-inspired. You can make it dark. You can make it gritty. You can have, you know, drunk characters. You can have, like, implied sex. We can make it PG-13. <laughs> you know, like, we can make it hard and gritty with a talking mouse, with talking mice, and talking albatross, and it'll be... Great for the kids, great for the adults. It's something everyone loves. And then we get, you know, we, that sets the, the scene for the big sequel, Rescuers Down Under, live right. action remake. You know, also, the also, technology, cheap to, also cheap to film in Australia. Yep, the technology is finally caught up. We can finally do the big condor. I believe it's a big condor they're trying no, to rescue. No, it's a golden eagle. Get your facts straight, all right? You said you were a fan. Unbelievable. You're right. I'm sorry. God. I mean, Bob Newhart's still alive. We can still bring him back. <laughs> well, John... I, this is unbelievable that you would want to remake perfection here. Uh, you're not going to improve <laughs> on the chemistry between Bob Newhart and Ava, Gar Ava Garbo. You're not you're going right. to improve on that. You're right. And I, I, the bad guy is voiced. Oh, shoot. Who voices the bad guy? Patton. I'm going to let you know. Yep, you're close. George C. Scott. George C. Scott. 
Boom. <laughs> can't you're right, you can't improve on perfection. <laughs> yes, and don't forget supporting laughs from John Candy as the as the albatross. Yes, you're absolutely right. Oh, just uh, why I, America has failed because Rescuers <laughs> Down Under is not the biggest movie of all time. It's a real shame. Uh, yeah, <laughs> the first and only time America has failed. Anyway, <laughs> welcome to the Aspiring Snobs. This is nominally a film podcast where you and I uh, catch up on a classic that we had not seen before and fill out our film bona fides and, and judge whether it's uh, deserving of that classic status and whether you should go check it out yourself. Mm-hmm. So it's it's at the same points uh, uh, a consumer report a uh, film criticism and just uh, two idiots blathering for <laughs> <laughs> which is 90% of all podcasts so i'm glad we yeah. i'm glad we we can put our voices on the pyre so absolutely yeah. um so this this time we're returning to the 1950s which i think you you and i agree is our favorite decade for films um <laughs> No grade scaling or changes here. Like this, yeah, just all A plus work. <laughs> well, it's only because, like, again, we often joke that it's like you know movies had to be made on the cheap back in the day because they had to shoot nine in a day. So yeah. um, I think the reason why uh, the 1950s is lauded as a great decade for films is because the cream truly has risen to the top because yeah. everyone's ignored about the 80% of the garbage that's you know just merely existing sitting somewhere in the turner classic movie vault you know classics being massive air quotes <laughs> yeah in addition to let's call it some great inflation due to nostalgia because this is this is an era that influenced say steven spielberg and martin scorsese and all these other like lauded directors like critics were coming out like this is a maturing art form and and so like these th- th- some of these earn like greatest films of all time and um via momentum just from that just from that early era um classic boomers classic boomers (laughs) classic boomers um so that's what we're gonna see again um with this uh classic billy wilder comedy we're of course talking about the marilyn rowe starring uh, (laughs) with jack lemon and tony kundras like rounding out the cast but really she's the she's the supernova at the center of this of course we're talking about some like it caliente or as they say in english some like it hot Florida Limited leaving on track one for Washington, Charleston, Savannah, Jacksonville, and Miami. All aboard. All aboard. What's the matter now? How do they walk in these things, huh? How do they keep their balance? Must be the way the weight is distributed now. Come on. It is so drafty. They must be catching cold all the time, huh? Will you quit stalling? We're going to miss the train. I feel naked. feel like everybody's staring at me. With those legs, are you crazy? Now, come on. I thought you were going to do uh, some kind of uh, uh, Goldilocks riff. Like some like it cold. Some like it lukewarm. But some like it hot. <laughs> this, this is not a podcast for children, John. Let, <laughs> let, let other podcasts handle the handle story time or whatever. This is very cool. serious, stern work. All right. You're right. This is, and I did this also... Have the French title up, uh, <laughs> Bon Show. Oh gosh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> I can imagine this is a pretty popular movie with the French because you know it's oh, sex- it's sexual. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, just brimming with sexuality. The idea of Jack <laughs> Lemon in a dress. <laughs> so I was I was surprised right off the bat because I did not realize that this movie was a period piece. 
I thought it was contemporary for the time, but um, come to my surprise, the opening shot, which is absolutely hilarious, by the way, it's gangsters, <laughs> gangsters looking like they came right out of a Dick Tracy comic. They're all like yeah. nothing but lines on their face. <laughs> you know, the camera's like perfectly situated square as they're driving a hearse. Yeah, and, you know, Bryce, all... Bryce Canyon, Bryce Canyon is less craggy than some of the faces. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's, like, perfectly situated. It's, like, and it's a testament to the the filmmaking on display. It's, like, it's all blocking. The first scene is just all blocking. They're all, like, Mm -hmm. turning to each other, giving each other, like, perfectly timed little looks. And, again, you have no idea what's going on. It it sets the scene, Chicago, 1929, which, again, I had no idea that this movie was meant to be, you know, Prohibition era. But, uh, yeah, like, that opening scene was was quite funny to me. I don't know. (laughs) Like, I was kind of hooked instantly. Well, yeah, that's that's the kind of surprise, because I... When you th- when you hear some like it hot, you think of oh that's the guy in dresses movie. That's the well nobody's perfect like ending. That's mm-hmm. it's the silly screwball comedy. Um, yeah, I didn't know. You you took it as funny. I took it as like dead serious. I did not know this was a uh, a cross dressing comedy slash gangster film like straight up gangster <laughs> film, um, which is taken I I thought like pretty seriously. Like you're right in terms of like I don't know like you could take it either way is very sunny. Uh, funny or serious but what it is is very efficient in terms of like establishing mm-hmm. the stakes here because there's not a, a word of spoken dialogue for like the first three four minutes or something but it establishes everything in terms of like we have uh uh, uh boot uh, not bootleggers what am i saying boot, bootleggers <laughs> <laughs> uh transporting uh alcohol in a coffin um the police as as are want to do take out their guns immediately and start shooting it so it's a great chase scene <laughs> um done with like practical cars like actually smacking into each other and spinning out like that's that's great um and then we get the setup of like the hard-boiled detective going in there um with a with a snitch like basically saying here's the password here's the circuit you know here's here's what'll get you in the club and then you know it's all dead silent until we actually do open the doors of the speakeasy and then the soundtrack like overwhelms and yeah yeah like well it's it's the organ player kind of covering up you know he's playing the organ and then you know once he figures out the code word he pulls a lever on the organ and then that's when the the speakeasy he opens up and it's all it's a raucous roaring 20s time and we're introduced to our our two leads uh our eponymous leads tony Curtis and jack lemon um one of the things that really also threw me about this movie i thought jack lemon had a reputation of being short but um you know (laughs) in this movie in this movie he looks like he's towering over everybody so i guess heels do really make a difference (laughs) may well yes it could be the fact that um as as we'll learn later, he will be surrounded by women in the cast. Um, mm-hmm. It could also be that you're familiar with him when he was seventy plus years old and probably a little bit more uh, shrunk. <laughs> That's also true. Yeah. <laughs> From performances like Grumpier Old Man or JFK. Or <laughs> <laughs> well, of course, the one I I was introduced to him with Glengarry Gunn and Moss. Oh, of so, course. Oh, yeah. Yes. How could, who, how could I forget? I apologize. Mm-hmm. Again, we sing. We sing. We are uh, Jack Lemon stands here. Mm-hmm. We must. Of course. We have no choice to, but to stand. <laughs> we're slowly transitioning this podcast. So instead of classic movies, we're just watching all of Jack Lemon's filmography. Yes. Yeah, every single movie he's done. <laughs> and like this podcast, it'll never end. We'll never run out of material. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. But, but yeah, yeah um, it's 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 actually a while before they actually talk because they we do establish that yeah it's the it's um prohibition like we've got this illicit speakeasy going on and then finally we like pan over and we got these two guys in the big band uh, a bassist and a saxophone player and um yeah it's good like 
I will say, like, yes, we, we often deride 50s movies for not being as good as their reputation holds, but this movie's doing a great job in terms of efficiently getting out all the information, like, that they explain to each other very naturally that they're hard up for cash, and uh, yeah. Tony Curtis's character has, has the foolproof plan to just go to the dog track once they finally do get <laughs> <Yes>. paid. <laughs> well, it also kind of, like, sets up their character dynamic and their competing personalities, mm-hmm. whereas, like, you know, Joe... Um, the one played by uh, Tony Curtis is kind of the more confident one. He's kind of the one who's like, yeah, yeah, no worries. And Jack Jack Lemon is playing um, Jerry, and he's the one who's like uh, flustered and like, oh, Joe, geez. Even though you know they're both quite adept at uh, talking their way out of situations <laughs> that they find themselves in. You know, there's there's an interesting kind of like interplay between the two that helps you know uh, like make the dialogue really pop. The fact that mm-hmm. it's coming from very distinct personalities. So, dirty old man. What happened? I just got pinched in the elevator. Now you know how the other half lives. Look at that, I'm not even pretty. They don't care, just so long as you're wearing a skirt. It's like waving a red flag in front of a bull. Really? Well, I'm sick of being the flag. I want to be a bull again. Now, what do you say? Let's get out of here. Let's blow. Blow where? You promised me, Joe, that the minute we hit Florida, we were going to beat it. How can we? We're broke. Well, we could find another band, a male band. Look, stupid. Right now, Spats Colombo and his chums are looking for us in every male band in the country. So humiliating. So you got pinched in the elevator. So what? Would you rather be picking lead out of your navel? All right, all right. But how long do you think we can keep this up? What's the beef? We're sitting pretty. Look, we get room and board. We're getting paid every week. Look, look at the palm trees. Flying fish. What are you giving me with a flying fish? I know why you want to stay here. You're after sugar. Me after sugar? I saw you at the both of you in that bus all lovey-dovey and whispering and giggling and borrowing each other's lipstick. I saw you. What are you talking about? Me and sugar? You and sugar. We're just like sisters. Well, I'm your fairy godmother, and I'm going to keep an eye on you. And uh, speaking of, like, efficiency, yeah, we don't actually get to the kind of the cross-dressing excitement. We get a lot of, like, kind of world-building. We get a lot of the, you know, them, <laughs> I get world-building is a generous term to say. But, you know, a lot of, like, set up, like, you know, them trying to get jobs. They're going to, like, these agencies. You got anything for us? You got anything for us? And that sets up the fact that, oh, we got a woman's band who needs a bass player and a, um, a saxophone player. But you're not you're not the right types fellas you know obviously it's you know a lot of like uh, a lot of gender jokes you know about body parts and sizes and things like that so so yeah. be prepared for that <laughs> a lot of wordplay um, yeah as we'll get to later once they finally yeah here's the other if if i'm going to have a critique we're, we're kind of laboriously going through the plot because this this film is very long mm-hmm. and it does take its time in terms of establishing that and there do feel like when I say setting up, I, I call them diversions, like, mm. because there is, we see a scene in which um, Joe's trying to court um, the secretary for an agent, an agent who's trying to book them these jobs, and um, it's clear that they have a relationship, but that never really, like, goes anywhere. It just kind of establishes him as a cad, I guess, um, mm-hmm. which... It comes in later what I thought was the most kind of absurd part of the movie. <laughs> I know, absurd in this comedy about guys cross-dressing. But it's not until, like, here, I, th- I think it does have to take its time because it's got to even out the tone because, as we saw, we have a very serious, like, gangster movie going on here where we establish spats, like the, the yeah. gangster and um, the, the dogged police officer who breaks up this uh, speakeasy. And then we transition to what is... Like, quite literally, there's no, like, getting around it. It literally takes place in the exact same day, um, the St. Valentine's Day Massacre, in which, mm-hmm. um, yeah, they they take out the snitch and, uh, and a coterie of other guys at this poker game um, for spilling the beans on the speakeasy, um, just as Al Capone did back in, like, 1929 or so. Yeah. Um, so, 
yeah, I was wondering like how you felt about like kind of that juggling of tone because yeah, we got to contrive a way in which like these guys go to the garage because they got to borrow the car because they got to get to their next gig, and like they wind up witnessing the the St. Valentine's Day massacre and then that's what precipitates them going on the run and then that's what gets them into the dresses and that's what yeah. gets them meeting Marilyn Monroe. I yeah. didn't mind it because again, okay. I was kind of I was kind of hooked in I was hooked line and sinker um so because i found it funny and because i was kind of engaged with the characters you're absolutely right it does feel like it takes maybe a little bit too long it could be kind of like cut down a bit but because i was kind of like so like again we always talk about like movie criticism maybe being too nitpicky but that's only because like again how engaged is your audience how engaged is your viewer if they're not engaged then yes they do notice the little things they do notice that oh this could be trimmed here and this could be trimmed because i was engaged i wasn't noticing how long it was actually taking <laughs> but you're right i was kind of surprised at how much setup we do get before the the guys are in dresses which is again the whole point of the movie yeah. and also introducing marilyn monroe not until like i don't know 30 minutes in she's finally introduced as a uh, sugar who is this uh, wild child? She plays the ukulele in this band. You know, a classic mm-hmm. jazz band needs a ukulele player. <laughs> yeah, and that's 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 kind of the other like uh, notorious thing about this is it stars Marilyn Monroe. Obviously, died young, tragically. Like a she lived a fast life, and yeah, like mm, a fast life. Yeah, I'm sure the CIA also helped speed up that process <laughs> as well, fellas. Oh, I haven't I haven't heard that one. Um, allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. Yes. I know they have their fingers and everything. That uh, every death that happened uh, between 1955 and 1970, but uh, <laughs> but. I kind of finding the other curious thing is that yeah she does slip in seamlessly into the movie when honestly like at the time they were filming it like she was high on god knows what probably exhausted from god knows what else and mm-hmm. like could not like literally like film a line or, or do anything in the movie <laughs> as as far as like the the behind scenes stuff go but she does fit in like seamlessly and and it's great, like how yes, she could be playing a very stereotypical um, dumb blonde. However, like th- th- she does have a lot of moments that land, like calling her father conductor, and then they're like, "Oh, what band?" And she's like, "Oh, the B and O Railroad." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, you're, but you're right. She is still like very much in her wheelhouse, which is the ditzy blonde. Um, mm-hmm. You know, part of the setup is she says like, "Oh, thank goodness, you're, like you're a sax player. I fall for every sax player. Thank goodness you're a woman." You know, it's like setting up like kind of very obvious things like that. Mm-hmm. Although it also kind of takes an unexpected direction because Joe is kind of confronted that he doesn't realize that he's playing into the stereotype that sax players are, you know, sex addicted monsters. <laughs> so <laughs> I think that does kind of drive the further complication, which is they're going to Florida. So, okay, so this film takes place in florida but was filmed in san diego big at the uh <laughs> granted they didn't have the internet back then so obviously not everybody's like oh the the coronado that's obviously the coronado hotel but there like, is there is a hotel in florida that looks just like the coronado hotel that's why it's okay. so confusing i don't know right. when both of them were built <laughs> i i maybe have a sneaking suspicion the florida one was built after this movie to maybe capitalize <laughs> i don't know yeah. but yes um and the only reason i know that's because i'm a san diego native so it's like you know that's that's a big point of pride for, yeah. you know, Coronado. So, but um, yeah, they're going to Florida and they're going to go to a, a, a 
a place where a lot of millionaires like to 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 gather. So the idea is that she's also going to find her sugar daddy there as well. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Tony Curtis's character, Joe, he kind of cooks up this scheme that, you know, while he's pretending to be a woman, he's also going to lie and pretend to be a millionaire to court the affections of sugar. Just lies on top of lies. All screwball comedies are just layers of lies. <laughs> well, that yeah, that's... While we're speaking of like low points in the movie, which like okay, like let's move on, let's wrap it up here. I found I found his like courting scheme very dull. Like it's mm. obvious, like everything it sets up everything. Like he steals like the the band manager's like suitcase. They see like he gets off the train and like I steals can't find glasses. my suitcase. Yeah, yeah. Um, puts on an accent, and I wish it was more like if we're going to compare this to another cross-dressing comedy that we looked at, Tootsie. Like at least it establishes that you know. Dustin Hoffman's character is a very versatile actor. I didn't know where the hell this was coming from, other than we know that um, Tony Curtis is like a cad. But I didn't yeah. know he's like putting on an accent. He's like, you know, very committed to the character. Like he's got this whole like Machiavellian scheme of like, I'm going to be here at this time uh, with this prop and this, you know. Well, yeah, but yes, but also like it's also played for farce because the other idea is that the accent he's putting on it is very, very bad. Very deliberately yeah. bad. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I'm British sometimes. And it, like, <laughs> it goes in and out. It's like, you know, justice for Dick Van Dyke. He gets, you know, credit as the worst <laughs> British accent. But it's like, but again, this one's intentionally bad. And like, mm-hmm. I think it's also meant to play to the fact that how kind of dumb Sugar is. The fact that she's completely falling for this guy, even though it's clearly an act. Um, yeah. And it's, uh, you know, again, like, going back to the whole farce aspect, it's like Joe is trying to prove himself a better person, not going into the stereotypes of being, you know, the philandering sax player, but then again has to concoct this whole new set of lies (laughs) to get sugar. (laughs) All at the same time, also trying to play, you know, the reverse gender to escape from the mob. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of... Like, but there's also like a level of absurdity to it that it worked for me. So obviously it didn't work for as much for you. You were kind of like, it seems like you were kind of rolling your eyes, whereas I was kind of like came for it. <laughs> it. It wasn't the rolling of my eyes. It was more like the checking my watch because mm. I think the other centerpiece of this this film is, um, yeah, they get um, they're trying to court affections of two different people in two different like ways, two mm. different genders. So we see Tony Curtis. He's he's stolen the brand ma- uh, the band manager's clothes and um, creates this character, this persona, and he's able to use this other millionaire's yacht and and court her and does this whole like negging scheme. It's like, oh, I yeah. I can't achieve an erection. I can't possibly <laughs> exactly. fall in love. You're gonna have to work really hard, Marilyn Monroe. To... <laughs> Which I don't know about sexual politics. Um, in nineteen that scene does I... go on a little bit too long. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> like he didn't he didn't need to do the third time where she's where he's like, I don't know, it's just not working for me. <laughs> yeah, well that scene is also intercut with another scene where uh Jack Lemon's character dressed in drag, um, has caught captured the affections of a of an eccentric billionaire mm-hmm. who's already been married like seven, eight times or something. Osgood and Fielding like, the third. Yes, Osgood Fielding or whatever. Um mm-hmm. he looks like Don Knotts. I don't know who the actor is, but um <laughs> uh he's a guy named Joe E. Brown. So Okay. Yeah. But a very hammy actor and, and so mm-hmm. they go on a date night with the presumption is like 
oh, I'll just, I don't think he even concocts this yet, but he says, like, oh, I'll just marry him, like, get an annulment, and um, and somehow, like, I'll I'll get half his uh, income or something, uh, half yeah. his wealth. Um, but the the date ends up going so well, and and it's just quick cuts to, like, a, at a roadhouse, like a like a cabana or something, so they're doing salsa dancing. and But we only get snippets of that intercut with this very long scene of, like, you know, again, him doing this, car- this terrible Cary Grant impression of, like, oh, I can't possibly... Yeah. fall in love like yeah like that could have been like funnier or something like the the kind of serious romantic scene with the ridiculous um with the ridiculous <laughs> salsa dancing like yeah. again it, it it could have been funnier but instead i was like checking my watch like when are we going to get to like well nobody's perfect like that's that's no. what i was i think it, it doesn't help that we're so familiar with like the the concept and the ending of this movie like we're trying to like see where the points were and where I perked up was where I didn't expect it to go, which was the gangster film stuff. Mm. Um, Cause the other complication that arises, like not just them trying to a court ginger or B just court wealth via this like oblivious millionaire. It's also that um, the guys, the gangsters trying to kill them also wind up in Florida. Yeah, no, and, well, I mean, it was kind of expected at this point, and yeah. I, I also appreciate how well Spatz is set up. You know, he's set up with the the, the shoes. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. that's how you that's how you know his character is approaching. Haven't I seen you somewhere before? Not very likely. You staying at the hotel? Not at all. The face is familiar. Possible you've seen it in the newspapers or magazines, um, Vanity Fair. That must be it. Would you mind moving just a little, please? You're blocking my view. Your view of what? They run up a red and white flag on the up when it's time for cocktail. You own a yacht? Which one is it? The big one? Certainly not. With all the unrest in the world, I don't think anybody should have a yacht that sleeps more than 12. I quite agree. Tell me, who runs up that flag? Your wife? No, my flags do it. Who mixes the cocktails? Your wife? No, my cocktails do it. Look. If you're interested in whether I am married or not... Oh, I'm not interested at all. Well, I'm not. That's very interesting. I don't... No, I think the reason why the movie works for me is because, again, there's, like, a lot of variety of jokes. Like, there's a lot of the, the screwball antics, so there's a lot of, like, just people flailing, which is naturally funny. Um, yeah. But then, you know, there's a lot of, like, good wordplay, like, a lot of, like, kind of funny dialogue. But then also it's just, you know, there's good timing... Like when they first get to Florida, the one scene that kind of just stuck out for me is like we see the row of of um, rocking chairs with the billionaires all in them, and they're yeah. all like you know reading in, in sync, and they all like kind of let down their papers, you know, in unison, <laughs> like they're all choreographed. And like it, you know, there's a good variety of jokes, you know. It's not just kind of like leaning on one thing, you know. Thinking mm-hmm. back to a movie we recently revisited. Um, uh, his girl Friday. That's all dialogue. Like there's yeah. there's no like in camera stuff. There's no like playing with the frame. At least with this movie, there's a great variety of jokes. You get the wordplay. You get the screwball antics. You get like the plot machinations. But then you also just get you know fun stuff with the blocking and the framing. So yeah. Um, and I was I was totally expecting the gangsters to get back in because obviously we need the you know screwball antics at the end where they're uh, we're just as men. Oh no, we're just as women now. We gotta get away. <laughs> yeah, I guess. As you said, very well directed. You're right mm-hmm. about like establishing. Like we talked earlier about the efficiency, like of of getting all this information out visually and in very interesting ways, like the close up of Spat's feet, or, or mm-hmm. um, um, like the first shot of them in drag from behind, and there's that great like kind of piece of trivia, like um, they they were going to train with a real drag queen 
drag queen about how to actually walk in heels, but Jack Lemon was like, "That's not true to my character. Like, I don't want to walk. I don't want to walk like I'm like I know I'm in heels. I want to walk like a guy who's never been in heels yes. before." So, <laughs> like, yeah, you're right. There, there is like a lot of between the variety of like not just the silliness of two guys in dresses, but also mm. like you said, the wordplay. Like, I love the joke also. Like, um, no, no, sh- like you're on a diet this train. No sugar. Like, do not, <laughs> do not try to go after her while we're in disguise. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, I guess the other weird thing I appreciated was like again going back to the fact that Joe and Jerry are very distinct characters. What's interesting is Jerry is seems much more game about being in a dress <laughs> than Joe. Yeah. Like Joe, Joe sees this as you know, like he has to. This is an obligation. But like Jerry kind of takes to it a little too comfortably. He's like Daphne. <laughs> like you know, like they used. You know, the original idea was they were just going to use names that are alliterative of their current name. But he's like, yeah. no, I always wanted to be a Daphne. <laughs> you know. <laughs> And he's the one who's so gung-ho about the idea in the first place. Like, oh, they need two two lady players? We'll dress up in dresses and, yeah, we'll do it. Why not? Yeah. So, like, even before their lives are at risk, he's at least considering yeah. it. So, yeah. <laughs> Gerald, why don't you have a girlfriend at this point? Or, you know what? It doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I kid. I kid. All right. I mean, Joe and Jerry have been living together for so many years. Yeah. <laughs> but... I think where where the demerits lie uh, is in the pacing because, like, yes, as 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 much variety as there is in the, in the jokes, I just wish it would go faster because th- there's like that interminable stretch where they're on the yacht and they finally like I don't know have some, um, Tony Curtis's and um, Marilyn Monroe finally consummate their relationship, and then after that, um, once Spatz does come to the Florida resort, resort and they get wise to, oh, the two witnesses uh, to the St. Valentine's Day massacre are actually here, then we have this long setup where uh, a big boss is that now trying to take out um, uh, Spatz for his uh, for his bold move in terms of like killing out the or uh, eliminating the entire poker game and failure mm-hmm. to to rub out uh, the two witnesses that were also there. Um, so that takes like a very long time and 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 that like that plotting I felt like not only were we missing the jokes but also like the tension <laughs> like um, they're just under the table or something and like, well we also they... know the whole gangster plan like they set it up as yes, like, like remember at the third and which nobody can deny that's when you pop out of the cake and it's like it would have been much more surprising if we didn't know somebody was in the cake with a yeah. Tommy gun <laughs> yeah. but that John that's not Hitchcock you gotta know the bomb is under <sighs> you're the right. table you're right you're <laughs> right yeah right. and you have to do it all the time that's the one rule and you can't change it at all <laughs> <laughs> They're really more like guidelines. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, what do you, what do you yeah. expect this John to be creative and change <laughs> things up? No. Yeah. Um, yeah, and then obviously they they do the classic. Um, you know, they they they're in men mode. You know, yeah. once they get caught again, you know, as witnesses, and then we do get the in camera effect where they go up the stairs, and then the elevator comes down, and then they're yeah. back in drag, and again, like in time, you know, that's way too short, but you know, that's part of the fun of it. Yeah. Um, and then you know, the screwball antics where they're trying to escape, and um, they get away in the yacht, and then of course we get that classic line, the classic ending. You know, <laughs> I think. Well, yeah, I think that's a, my other problem is like, yes, it's a great closing line. There's there's a reason that it's so legendary. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, it's nice that Tony Curtis and Sugar, or excuse me, Marilyn Monroe's characters do wind up together. And there's no more like putting on airs. Like she loves him regardless of if, he, if he's a millionaire or not, or 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 in a dress, <laughs> um, yep. or even a saxophone player. Like yeah, you know, there is there is that affection there, and and that that relationship feels earned. Um, what I didn't like is 
I had no idea where they were going. I had no idea if they had yeah. actually escaped. Like, like at that point, the whole gangster plot feels superfluous because they could have just like left at any time. Exactly. Like, why did we even have the gangsters come back? So it does. It, like, for how great the last line is, it does kind of feel anticlimactic that it just that they end up getting in a boat and going yeah. away. <laughs> yeah. Like, I thought they were going to help assist the cops, or like you know there was going to be a wrap up where the cops are like, oh, thank you, you've done a great service. Now we're going to put you in protection, and you're going to witness, and you're going to testify. Thank goodness that you're you know you were here so yeah but no yeah. we don't get any kind of like rap like for you're right for a movie that is sort languidly paced it does feel like it ends very abruptly and like just kind of like and that's it <laughs> yeah and what other like setups and payoffs we have like don't mean anything or like mm. again didn't it didn't amount to anything like we do have that cop character i think he he speaks the first lines in the movie and you know we see him putting on the badge and he's got the raid and he's back at the florida resort but he never like he's, he's just functional in terms of like you know like delivering exposition or something like there's mm-hmm. nothing to it it never amounts to anything and so that's that's my only other lament is like the languid pacing like against not plot lines that go nowhere but don't amount to anything in the end um but otherwise otherwise like good movie <laughs> otherwise you know it still does a damn good job of, of of making you laugh which i think is like the kind of sole purpose while still like um adding in the the nice flavor textures of thrills and chills of a gangster movie <laughs> i call mama she was so happy she cried she wants you to have our wedding gown it's white lace yeah that's good i can't get married in your mother's dress <laughs> Uh, she and I, we are not built the same way. We can have it altered. Yeah, no, you don't. That's good. I'm going to level with you. We can't get married at all. Why not? Well, in the first place, I'm not a natural blonde. Doesn't matter. I smoke. I smoke all the time. I don't care. Well, I have a terrible past. For three years now, I've been living with a saxophone player. I forgive you. I can never have children. We can adopt some. But you don't understand, Osgood. Oh, I'm a man. Well, nobody's perfect. That's what it seems like you were missing. You were missing more of the attention of the gangster stuff. Okay. Yes. Yes. (laughs) You were like, why wasn't it a hard gangster flick? Absolutely. (laughs) I wanted white heat, damn it. (laughs) I wanted white heat in dresses. (laughs) (laughs) Look at me, Ma, top of the world. <laughs> oh, there's all all sorts of psychology going on there. Um, there you are. There yeah, you we go. need to do a queer reading on that one. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> I I really like this movie. I loved it. Um, I think it's a testament to Billy Wilder's talent. Um, I don't think I've seen a movie of his I didn't enjoy. But then again, mm-hmm. the only ones I have seen are the ones that are everyone's like, you have to see this movie. So <laughs> maybe maybe I'll dig into his deep cuts and see if they're worth it. So yeah, maybe the other like. 800 movies that he directed over the course of his career. Maybe there's a stinker in there, but uh, Some Like It Hot is not it. Um, no. It's a, it's, a, it's a good quality flick, yeah. There you go. Um, despite my, I don't know, teeny tiny reservations and nitpicking. I mean, we wouldn't have a show if we didn't nitpick, so I apologize. <laughs> Again, that's all film criticism is, guys, okay? Yeah. Watching a movie is all about predicting what's going to happen next, and then complaining <laughs> about the obvious thing that happened that you knew was going to happen. So that's, that's film criticism now, guys. Yes. I'm glad can we you could believe Dalma- Can you believe Dalmatians killed Corolla Deville's mom? <laughs> so obvious. Come on. Yeah. 
There's a yeah. there's a great double bill in Cruella and Some Like It Hot. <laughs> yeah. Camp Classics. Camp Classics Camp for classics. Pride Month. Here we go. We're in Pride Month now, guys. <laughs> Indeed, we, we are, are fabulous. Maybe, yeah. Maybe we have some Pride-themed uh, LGBTQ movies or TV shows to celebrate uh, for our um, uh, Pride-themed uh, spotlight. <laughs> Q, born this way. <laughs> spotlight. 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 Good job. Yeah. Q, what's, an, what's another gay anthem? All, all I can think of is um, the, the Queer Eyes, the Straight Guy theme song. What is it? Like, when you're all around. Um, yeah. There's Vogue. Oh, okay. There's um, uh, Work Bitch by uh, uh, Britney, obviously. Uh, <laughs> I never heard that song, but that's a hilarious. You've title. never heard Work Oh, come on. There's like, okay, in the power rankings of Britney Spears songs, it's Toxic okay. number one. Everyone knows this. People yeah. people like to be contrarian, but everyone knows this. She's the flight song. attendant who yes. <laughs> massages her boobs. <laughs> First of all, I'm Sorry, talking that's... about the song, okay? The extra textualities of the music <laughs> okay. video is irrelevant. Okay? Fine, Thank fine. You. But there are some things I remember, all right? Give me a break. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so it's toxic, and then it's, um, uh, uh, I'm not a girl, not yet a woman. You know, obviously uh-huh. we need the ballad. And yeah. then it's probably work, bitch. Okay? So okay. That was, that's her, that's her game. All right. Is that the one where she says it's Britney bitch at the top and center of attention? Or no, that's the. I mean, there's a lot of songs where I'm pretty sure she. That's like her. It's Jason Derulo. You know, it's like that's her. That's her. You know, her light motif. So okay. you know, you need to include those at least a few songs. You know. Okay, John. John, people aren't here for the Britney Spears discourse. In which, case, if you are, though, welcome. Um, please stick around. Look, this, this, we should section this under the educational. They're learning about film criticism. They're learning about music theory. We're packing a lot to this episode, guys. Yes, yes, we are. Um, well, John, I do have something uh, LGBTQIA themed um, mm-hmm. for Pride Month. Um, coming from from an unexpected place, uh, Netflix, my least favorite uh, streaming service right now, but they do have a a good. I'll, I'll say good. It's only two seasons, um, which vary wildly in quality. But um, <laughs> sorry, I won't. I won't bury the lead here. I'm talking about um, the the fun sitcom Bonding. Has this come up uh, on your recommendations? I yes. Um, it's hard to tell because they change out the thumbnails. They I mm-hmm. don't know if people know this about uh, uh, Netflix. They do a lot of A/B testing with their thumbnails. That's why they have so many thumbnails and why you know it's like sometimes it's just someone's face. Sometimes it's very you know kind of mysterious. They're trying to figure out what the best graphic is for people to click on. So uh, I have seen this though because it's like it's about bondage. It's about S and M, correct? Yeah. So it's a. BDSM themed comedy. It's set in New York, and mm-hmm. we've got two young characters um, who go back. I think they're both in their mid twenties, but they go back a few years, back in like Georgia or something. Mm-hmm. Um, one is a dominatrix uh, studying for her to be a psychologist. Um, this is actually the second uh, TV show that I know of that features a psychologist who's also a BDSM dominatrix. So I don't know what's going on in in writers' minds there, but uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but she's. She's flanked, or like, um, she wants to lend support to her her gay best friend, um, who aspires to be a comedian. Um, but he's very unsure of himself. He's very insecure and can't like get stage time because he gets too afraid and and leaves mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Um, so the first se- so each season is uh, ten episodes. They they only run about fifteen minutes or so, and so but it's good in terms of like setting up like kind of wacky scenarios about something that I, I don't know let's admit it's kind of funny um i know some people like kind of make it the the basis of a personality or like something they pursue wholeheartedly but 
let's be like S and M is kind of funny, and so um, <laughs> and so th- I'd say where season one like really mines the best jokes is not just the conflict between the characters because one's very uh, confident and very sure of herself in these situations, the other one is the exact opposite of that, and mm-hmm. so um, and so that was that was good from that that perspective because um, yeah, I've never seen like a that gay best friend character be so like insecure and be the unsure one obviously when we see that in like romantic comedy they're the quippy ones they're like just the support characters but they both have like kind of established storylines wants and um it's very good at establishing their their history over the course of that first season um Mm. i I, so i want to give credit there to um writer director with one of the strangest names i've ever seen writer doyle his name's writer r-i-g-h-t-o-r doyle um, so writer is in writer's reign correct right yes right okay right right or wrong but so no not wrong, like writing right. i am writing i'm this no. is my screenplay or not riding i am riding my horse no this is <laughs> i'm doing dressage this is this is right in terms of the uh conservative pro-monarchy uh, wing of the french parliament that's that's what this is got it yeah <laughs> But no, the first season is like uh, great in terms of like mining comedy and a, and a good storyline, or th- I'll say a good storyline between the characters. It's not so great in terms of like in the last episode they they try to do this season long arc where like, hey, did you pay attention to these five seconds from the pilot episode? It's now coming back. Like no. that's not that's not that's not as as good. But um, still, like the every kind of like scenario in this first like um, in this first season is great. Um, now the problem is between season one and two, um, some some uh, enthusiasts um, got wind of the show and didn't like it and and were upset at its depiction of the LGBT or excuse me not LGBT um, BDSM. <laughs> uh, so oh, because they're the same thing in your mind, aren't they? I do. <laughs> you well, know, the, you've got one of those kinks, like those gay kinks. <laughs> well, we'll t- John, we'll get to that because. <laughs> I think they only had like one season of material and you could be very happy and very confident with like what you came up with. Mm-hmm. Um, but now in the world of television and particularly prestige TV, when you're the subject of like blogging and social media feedback that you have to say, like, I hear you. I And we do yes. more than just entertaining television. We're also educating. We're also, you know, illuminating things. So what happens is the, the dominatrix gets um, humbled and, um, the, the owner of the dominatrix company that she, or agency that she works for like demands that she goes through a like a remedial class um, even though she is somewhat experienced and so this is where we're we're not just like um, again like uh, entertaining you <laughs> with um, BDSM <laughs> antics now we're actually uh, educating you because oh, consent no. and stuff is really important yeah and the and the psychology and stuff and and there it like really falls flat and and now we're like we're back to a a, a typical role reversal. Like now, because um, she's been humbled, like our our dominatrix character is now like unsure of herself, and um, the uh, her gay best friend does find success in comedy. So now he's super assured of himself and is now like doing quips and you know now being like the stereotypical one. And so like yeah, the the laughs aren't as good because they're they're more like they're not unexpected. They're not coming out of like you know a a. a an, an unexpected place instead they're now mm. conventional in terms of like you know he's the one rolling his eyes and 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 quipping back and forth and so like yeah it's not um so that's the first problem with season two the other one is they they try to expand the cast a little bit so the dominate they both get boyfriends mm-hmm. and um these characters are very uh i'll say ill-conceived <laughs> oh, um, <no. laughs> yeah <laughs> 
one is um her classmate in in the psychology class um who is uh who's 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 um i don't want to say like I won't say beta male, but somebody who's like constantly like apologizing or looking for ways in which he can be like an ally or something. Oh. And the, and the problem with it, like he he plays it as such like a dullard, like he's not, he's just not very like interesting. And so like again, he gets into these like scenarios where he gets hurt and has to be like looked after and wants to be independent, but he's clearly like failing at that. And so like yeah, it's just it's 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 just not a very well conceived character because I, again I don't think they conceived it or considered it like starting from season one. And then the other problem is the other boyfriend is um is initially like very sure of himself and and when he dates when when he has his first date with the other character um his name is uh Pete um when he has his first date with Pete he takes him to like a gay bar and and Pete's obviously like very unsure of this um come season 2 it turns out that his boyfriend hasn't come out to his parents yet um even though it's the year 2020 in New York City <laughs> <laughs> Look, Greg. Everyone's coming out looks different. Okay, I I know, I know. Okay, listen. I this is I, a I hear you. I hear you. I understand you. That yes, every coming out. But like, come on. Like that's that's what the the conflict is going to hinge on. And so like, yeah, there's this ridiculous like coincidence that play like like the first season like plays and comes to fruition in like the last episode that I didn't like. Um, mm-hmm. So if you are going to watch Bonding, just stick to season one where I think all the all the laughs and and more the nuances like. It it was like a really pleasant surprise, um, whereas season two just becomes like more the same, like kind of average, and so that's that's kind of the downside and why I was reluctant to to recommend the show for a long time. So, okay, um, but still, like I, I'd say, like quality stuff, quality like prestige television where we're learning. Um, <laughs> but each episode's only fifteen minutes long. It seems like a web series. <laughs> I. It might be. I think it's just like a consider it like a slightly shorter network sitcom where they don't quite hit the like twenty two minute mark. Okay. Yeah. Mm, sounds lame. But okay. <laughs> <laughs> I paid for twenty two minutes. Damn it. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and I will say, um, I will say, not my fault for associating the LGBT. Q community with BDSM because that's the second season. It feels like every date they have takes place in um, one of those eagle bars or something. <laughs> what is it? What do they call Mister Eagle or something? <laughs> leather. They just call them leather bars. Okay. Oh, okay. That's, all that's right. <laughs> but yes, every leather bar is called the Eagle in every all city. Right. I don't know why. <laughs> Wait, is it not a franchise? Or maybe I don't know. It's it seems right. like it's like there's only a handful of names that sounds good for a bar. I think, and I think that's <laughs> yeah. Well, Greg, you see, the thing is, I think um, people on the LGBTQ spectrum are a little bit more receptive to kinks because they were raised Mm -hmm. telling you, no, you're supposed to be attracted to boys or girls. Like, this is it. This is the dichotomy you live in. So as a result, because they've been, you know, willing to explore their sexuality a little bit more, they're they're also willing to take it a step further. So that's why I think you tend to conflate, you know, the uh, LGBT people with being a little bit more sexually liberated, a little more sexually free. So, okay. Yeah. But John, does it belong at Pride? <laughs> I thought this should be an open, family-friendly place. Uh, <laughs> look, gay people are normal, as long as heteronormative people accept them. So that's why we have to act as heteronormative people, okay? <laughs> I don't think there's, I don't think there's any prejudice about it. I think it's more like, look, like people just want family-friendly things. They don't want to confront like, uh, yeah, like ugly stuff in their 
in their gawking. Let's call it, let's call it gawking and voyeurism because that's what the that's what the Star Wars and Marvel movies are. That's what their television is. Like, well, yeah. no, it's just people have sexual hangups, and so they think that's like, it. oh, you know, it's like, oh, sexual stuff. We just don't talk about it. So it's like people just generally are just not willing to talk about sexual stuff. And so when okay. you're confronted with sexual stuff, if you built in your head, no, we don't talk about that stuff, you freak out. So, yeah. you know, it's just, it's all about being, you know, more open and honest and, 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 and not telling kids, you know, like sex stuff. No, we don't talk about it. It's scary. <laughs> so I think the problem is we need to reorient our thinking about what is quote unquote family friendly. Like, I think there's a way, you know, like, because Lord knows we were both raised in a repressive, <laughs> you know, way. That's not true. <laughs> Our parents relented on The Simpsons. <laughs> so. <laughs> That's about as far as they went, though. <laughs> Everything else was, you know. You can you can listen to Adventures in Odyssey, but that's it. <laughs> no, we were not. We were not an Adventures in Odyssey household. Thank God. No. But speaking of family. Yeah. I want to recommend another sitcom that was on Comedy Central in our the year of our Lord 2019, um, which also has a predominant LGBT character. It's a, a sitcom called The Other Two. Are you familiar with The Other Two? Uh, yes. I think you've talked about it before. This is the one where uh, it's about two siblings and their brother is basically Justin Bieber, right? And that is correct, <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> um, and while the movie, or not the movie, the, while the TV show is kind of meant to be a, a kind of thumb in the eye of the entertainment industry, mm-hmm. what I like is it does take some kind of like unexpected twists. Like, for instance, uh, Molly Shannon is kind of the mom. She's the mom of the three siblings. Um, and she's not the kind of stereotypical like stage mom that you'd expect her to be be she's not the one who's kind of like pushing him to like have this career she's just kind of a free spirit who's like guys this is my year of yes that's kind of a reoccurring (laughs) joke throughout the show and like it's called the other two because again the, the 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 siblings are the main characters and the third brother the one who's actually famous is completely incidental like he's barely in like five minutes of every episode (laughs) because you know part of the joke is that he's like very I'm, he's a young actor. He's 13. So obviously, you know, like, I don't think, you know, it's a testament to his acting skill. I do think that they're trying to, like, kind of keep him, you know, kind of <laughs> away. But again, yeah. that also becomes like the joke is that he's so hurried. He's like, yeah, he's opening he's opening up a Dairy Queen in like five minutes. So yeah, you have like no time to talk to him. You know, he's just rushed around. And, and you know, there's some episodes where he doesn't even get a line. It's like, oh, yeah, we're recording his nine song uh, album tomorrow. So uh, yeah, he's got to keep those vocal cords fresh, <laughs> you know. Um, and obviously, spoiler alert, like, it's it's like part of the, the, the fun of it also is that there's like kind of a, a great kind of like season long arc, like a great way that the, the season finale kind of like ends a great kind of like cliffhanger. Um, because everyone is kind of like mooching off this kid that it kind of like obviously leads to a, a great kind of like season finale. So I don't know if it's going to get a second season because I think kind of COVID kind of like could have put a kibosh on it. And I don't think yeah. it was like a ratings bonanza where it's like, we have to have a second season. <laughs> um, but um, so the two uh, siblings, Brooke and Carrie, uh, Brooke is kind of homeless, <laughs> houseless is the best way to describe her. She's like, she's a real she's estate. She's couch surfing. <laughs> yes, yeah, she's she's a real estate agent. She basically like squats in the vacated houses that she's showing. <laughs> Smart. Yes. Um, and uh, the brother Carrie, 
um, he is a um, a waiter, and he he has aspirations to be an actor. So they both kind of like they're both obviously feeling um, inadequate next to their brother, who's obviously uh, gained a lot of success. But also they're trying to like scheme and figure out ways that they can mooch off it. But they both mm. kind of have like you know these aren't like you know. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia characters. They still kind of like feel bad about doing it and they're like conflicted. So that's where a lot of the comedy comes from. Um, hey, fact check. The gang does sometimes feel really bad about what they do. Like the time when they had tapeworms and wanted to thought that they had this like cannibalistic urge and wasn't sure if it was a uh, racist that they didn't choose a black cadaver or a white one. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> And of course, we also get a, just a fine coterie of character actors. Uh, the agent is played by Ken Marino. Um, mm-hmm. He's fa- he's absolutely fantastic. And then uh, Carrie's agent is played by Richard Kind. Um, nice. What's great about him is you know he only really talks to him on the phone, and so we get Richard Kind on the phone, and you know like you know he's he's basically just dispensing information about you know this job, and then we have this, and then as soon as they hang up, you see Richard Kind. He's driving a taxi, or he's t- t- <laughs> waiting tables himself. <laughs> There's a great. scene where we see him in the kitchen and he's on the phone he's, and he clicks, hangs up, is like, so, these countertops. And he <laughs> then backs out and you realize he's at a Home Depot. <laughs> That's great. Yes. <laughs> so okay. um, it's it's really funny. Like, again, like, it's it's obviously meant to be a satire of show business and, and things like that. And I think it's working on that level. And, uh, but, right. uh, yeah. And the reason, you know, and a lot of mileage has come out of the fact that Carrie is gay. Um, he's recently kind of, like, out. He doesn't, he, like, know how to kind of like fit into that world there's one episode where he's like again as an actor you need like a huge instagram following so he like follow mm-hmm. like he tries to get in with these insta gays <laughs> <laughs> and like tries to get included in their pictures so that he can get more followers and more likes so you know it has a lot of like clever setups like that so okay. it's a you know now available on hbo max so check it out all right I this does sound uh, better than maybe the first time you pitched it. I think I think there was some confusion between it and um, what's the Hulu original with Billy Eichner? Difficult. Oh, people? difficult was people. That? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Because because it, it's that, also siblings like desperate for success. No, they're not think. siblings. They're, they're oh, friends. they aren't. Oh, okay. yeah. All right. Never mind. No, the thing that always bothered me about that show is that one. Like again, instead of like it's it's also satirical but also still too inside baseball it's like yeah. oh i gotta do this improv show oh i gotta book time at the open mic you know it's like you know like bullshit like that like writers obviously love to write about but this one's more like <laughs> kind of you know it's like all the little superfluous stuff like his uh the brother's name the the megastar his name is chase dreams yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> Um, his like album launch party is on an airplane, <laughs> so they like. <laughs> nice. And you know it's like fun little moments, like you know they're taking off, and like the captain is a woman, and so they're like, oh wow, a woman captain. That's like, but she she talks like, hey guys, so quick update, <laughs> um, <laughs> we're gonna be like taxiing for like another fifteen minutes. Is that cool with everybody? <laughs> you know, so just like chill out, send out the vibes, and we'll be getting up in the air in no time. Okay, <laughs> so like okay. The, the, everyone's like you know like they want to like obviously be respectful that they're it's a female pilot but also she doesn't sound qualified <laughs> so it's, it's okay. full of fun little moments like that uh, all right fact check there are many <laughs> female commercial pilots who are very professional and do all their checks properly <laughs> so I, I object to this to this particular line of joking sir <laughs> 
do not I do not enjoy any jocularity at the expense of our our brave commercial pilots. You're right. <laughs> you know, and now with COVID as the way it is, like they've been grounded, and we need to support them now more than ever. Essential workers. <laughs> oh no, they're they're back to work. The pandemic's over, John. Haven't you heard? <laughs> oh my gosh, it is. I completely yeah. forgot. Yeah. Well, now again, just in time for Pride. Yay, Pride. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I think that's why I'm seeing it way more because I think there is this like pent up energy, like yes, like gosh, I gotta get out, th- I gotta get out there again. <laughs> um, what am I saying? I Freudian slip. I mean, people want to get out there again. <laughs> oh, Greg, come on! I know you, and I know you're excited for Pride this year. So that's yeah. why I set up a very fabulous <laughs> trivia challenge for you. When you're all around. <laughs> when you're all around. So, Greg, because I know you're a huge Paul's Drag Race fan, and because we just dealt with a movie that was about cross-dressing, I have have a a, a fantastic trivia challenge for you. I have 20 names. Now, half of them are real drag queens, half of them are fake drag queens. You're going to have to tell me, I'm going to list a name, and you're going to tell me if it's a real drag queen or a fake drag queen. Now, there is a possibility that some of these names are real drag queens, but I have not come across them, so (laughs) I did not go that deep into um, uh, fact-checking. So if there are real drag queens out here and I disclaim you're fake, well, bitch, all right, you better work, okay? So, uh, Greg, are you ready to slay queen? (laughs) Um, Yes. Um, Who's ready to see? Some uh, blindfold skeet shooting because that's what this is gonna be. <laughs> oh, Greg, maybe gets... we'll hit. Maybe we'll hit one out of twenty. Let's find out. <laughs> Greg, it gets real fish. Okay, let's go. <laughs> fish? What? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Number one, Nina West. I'll say yes. That is real. That is correct. Okay. All right. Tyra Sanchez. Ira Sanchez. Tyra uh, Sanchez. Tyra Sanchez. Real. Real, yes, but retired. Uh, she got canceled because okay. she called in a bomb threat to Dragon. Apparently, yeah. <laughs> what? <laughs> some people, some people are just addicted to the drama. So, <laughs> she's right now I'm like blindfolded, uh, ski shooting on a roller coaster now. <laughs> okay, number three, Phoebe Tension. <laughs> Phoebe Tension. Uh, that is funny. I'm gonna go fake though. It is fake. <laughs> All right, three for three. Hey, <laughs> number four, Sasha Velour. Sasha Velour. That sounds real. I'm going to say real. That is correct. Hey! <laughs> Number five, Charlemagne. But Maine spelt like the state at the end. Charlemagne, Charlemagne was an amazing Roman general. Um, <laughs> but adding on the Maine state uh, doesn't add anything. You know what? I'll say real. <laughs> that is fake. <clears throat> ah! Legend. Yep. Okay. All right. I'm five for Shay- six though, which I will I will take. I retired. <laughs> I'm I'm leaving. Four I'm, for, well, you're four for five right now. Four for four five. five. Okay, okay. Never mind. And it only gets more challenging. Greg, number six, Shea Jet. Shea Jet. I'm gonna say real. That is fake. Yeah. <laughs> Where'd you come up with these? Did you? <laughs> there's a there's a lot of drag queen generators out there. Game <laughs> generators. All right. I see. <laughs> number seven, maybe Mimi Tucker. <laughs> Sorry, the Tucker is funny. Um, I'll say real. Fake, Greg. You would never Black use Tucker. It. Come on, that's too obvious. You would never that use is... Tucker in your drag. I don't name. know. Maybe, maybe they're like a divine, like a, an old legend or something. <laughs> yes. Well, that's why it's going to get harder because we're going to get into the one-word ones, and then it's going to get right. real challenging. Okay. <laughs> but for now, number eight, Jinx Monsoon. Uh, real, very real. 
hey. winner of uh, uh, season five, I believe. Yeah, uh, season five. <laughs> sure, <Christ>. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Number nine, Violet Chachki. <laughs> real, <laughs> very real. Good to work. Yes. <laughs> Number ten, Alyssa Minge. I, I think those Google generators uh, are too family-friendly to come up with Minge. I'll go real. <laughs> fake. Fake. Damn it. <laughs> Number 11, Leona Cracker. Um, real. Fake. <laughs> Damn it. <laughs> Number 12, Latrice Royale. Oh, that's real. I think I've heard them on a podcast before. Very real. Good job. Yeah. <laughs> Very real. Okay, folks. Let me tell yeah. you. Number 13, Eureka Lady. Eureka Lady. It seems really obvious, but again, we could go back to the 1950s or something. I'm going to say real. Fake. Fake. The lies you tell. (laughs) All right. All right. Number 14, Paris. That's real. That is real. Yeah. She's based in uh, San Diego. Um, All right. Number 15, Ava Max. I'm going to go real. Okay, this was kind of a trick. Ava Max is not a drag queen, but apparently she's a pop star with a song that's out that's popular. But again, like we're we're post thirty, so music that's popular today means nothing to us. <laughs> so now, okay, yeah. yeah. So okay, now, she's now huge on to, TikTok apparently. So well, now we have to go back to like okay, a drag queen is a um a, a cisgendered <laughs> male who dresses and identifies as a woman and either lip syncs or sings professionally and performs in a like is that are we going to get to the weeds there or yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't know i don't know yeah. but yeah she's she's something okay, okay. number 16 absolute vodka <laughs> that's real fake what <laughs> damn it you. come on the lawyers wouldn't allow that <laughs> but it'd be hilarious absolute vodka would run wild with it <laughs> yep all right number 17 chad michaels <laughs> chad <laughs> No, I'm just thinking of Chaz Michael Michaels. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say real. Very real. Good work. Okay. Number 18, milk. Uh, can, can you spell out milk, please? <laughs> I believe it is spelt the way you would sound it. Okay. I, 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 I didn't, again, I didn't go too deep into the weeds. Okay. Then that is fake. That is real. There's a drag queen named Milk. Yes. But no, come on. Like, if it's going to be Milk, it's going to be, like, Milk spent M-double-Y-E-double-triple-L-K. I think I think her I think her her whole thing is that she's very camp and she's beards. She does beards. No. What? A drag queen? Look, there's some who are, like, lean more into the glamour, okay, guys? Sure, yeah. All right. The glamour of... I forgot about the glamour of drag queening. <laughs> Come on. All right. Number 19, Sponge. Oh, that... Oh. I know what you're talking about. I, I haven't seen one minute of RuPaul's Drag Race except for um, somebody came out in a dress made of sponges. Um, but that wasn't their name. So, yeah, I'm going to go fake. Very fake. Good work. Okay. All right. All but right. I was right about the... the Dress is dress made of a sponge, right? Or sponges? Yes. yes. Okay. I was yes. right about that. All right. All right. And number twenty, the final one, Roz dress for less. All right. See, this is this is where you're doing it properly. All right. Somebody's got to get out there with the stage name, uh, Absolute Vodka. I'm gonna recruit you to do it, um, even though you'd make the ugliest drag queen on the planet. Um, you, of course, than Jack Lemon does in the movie. Um, I'm gonna say real. <laughs> 
Very real. <laughs> She's yes. based in L.A. So next time, next time this drag show is great, you, you are obligated to go see Raw's Dress for Less perform. <laughs> okay. I heard I, on a podcast. I, she was very I, funny. Okay. I, we, we have no choice but to stand. So <laughs> exactly. we will go to whatever. There's, there's a drag club out here, I guess. There's got to be one. <laughs> What do you mean I'll there's go gotta to, be I'll go one? To You're in LA. What are you talking about? <laughs> I don't know. They don't come up in my Yelp searches, all right? Oh my gosh. Oh, we gotta we gotta fix you, Greg. All right. I know. Well instead you gotta... I wind up at the instead I just wind up at, at the Eagle every night. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like incredulous. I'm like, how did I keep getting up? I don't know, I keep ending up here. <laughs> Why do these homosexuals keep sucking my dick? <laughs> Classic onion headline. Yep. All right. Well, Greg, you got uh, a 12 out of 20. So that's actually, you know, hey. a solid D. Solid D. So in some instances, you'll be passing. All right. So. Come on. Come on. I, just, I did an Olympian job there. All right. There uh, happy Pride, everybody. Um, yes. If you liked that, I don't know, I don't know what to call it, shambles. <laughs> And if you want to see more of our Pride-themed content, you could always follow us on social media. We'll be posting rainbow flag-related things all month, guys. Look out. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And selling uh, rainbow merch um, yes. for and no less than $30. So, <laughs> And no kink stuff, guys. Gross. No, <laughs> no kink no on social media. leather straps, no ball gag stuff. Um, <laughs> no. As undoubtedly hilarious as it is. Um, <laughs> Instead, you can give us a follow on Facebook or Twitter or Instagram. We're on all three. And then, um, hey, whatever podcast service of choice you're listening to uh, to us on, hit, hit that subscribe button and uh, write us a review if you actually enjoyed this. Um, I hope you did. Uh, I mean, there's no reason why you wouldn't. I, I think we, yeah. we were all aces this episode. So, Yes, I went 12 for 20 on a subject <laughs> I'm not very familiar with. So there you go. All right, Drax Queens scare me. All right, <laughs> They're so tall. They're so tall and so brassy, and I know Guys, they're gonna make fun of me. <laughs> well, that's the thing. You're you're perfect catnip for a drag queen. They they are yes. they're obligated to seek you out, the most uncomfortable straight person <laughs> in a gay bar. I, I'm in their crosshairs. I know it. <laughs> <laughs> they have Terminator vision on me. There you go. <laughs> I gotta take you to more gay bars. <laughs> no. I'll never forget one of my fondest memories. We went to this fondest. Gay bar. It was my Me Too moment. How dare you? <laughs> We went to this bar that Greg was convinced it's it's more divey than anything, but Greg's like, no, that bar is not. It, it's not divey. It's got rainbow. No, it's not divey. Yeah, it's got rainbow flags on the outside, and they do karaoke literally every weekday. And Greg's like, I don't think this is a gay bar. And so we because go we there. go there on Saturday, they have sports on the TV, and the makeup <laughs> is fifty fifty men to women. So mm-hmm. you know, it doesn't feel. It doesn't oh, feel oh, gay doesn't until feel. I was in town on a weeknight, and we went there for trivia night on Wednesdays, and. Wouldn't you know it? Greg, Greg, um, Greg got fondled. Now, no, no longer sports. Now it's Impractical Jokers on the TV. <laughs> Always Impractical Jokers. True TV does nothing else. So, yes. Yeah. And Greg was Greg was assaulted without his consent. No. Because, <laughs> I, I don't know, like, there's this... Is there a gay magnetism to twins or something? I don't know. Yes, yes, uh, okay. that is that is a thing. Yes, we'll, right. we'll, let's not let's not. Even though I was talking, let's let's talk openly about sexuality. Well, I don't want to talk about it. Twin cest, all right, in the gay community. <laughs> not not fond of that. Okay. <laughs>
And we're earning that explicit tag today. Yes. Let's <laughs> let's pray people come back uh, with our movie that we're talking about next week. Mm. Speaking of difficult topics, I think it's time we finally revisit Midnight Cowboy. Because <laughs> <laughs> everybody's talking at us. I don't hear a word yeah. they're saying. Only no. the echoes I... of my mind. Do, 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 do. Yeah, this is a Best Picture winner. We try to watch every Best Picture winner that we can, um, or at least ones that we haven't seen yet. Um, this one notable for, yeah, talking about some uh, kind of un- unexplored territory in terms of uh, LGBTQ stuff, uh, as well as um, sexuality in general, and earning an X rating. X sex, sex work. You know, guys, yep. it's a big topic these days. We need to we need to bring it out into the open. Okay. Yep, and we'll get to celebrate uh, John Foyt, who's one of our favorite actors uh, working today. Um, has great political opinions. Uh, we agree with him. And uh, Dustin often. Hoffman, you know, talking about you know guys who were just incredible careers and survived the Me Too movement. Dustin Hoffman, good job. <laughs> oh, I didn't know he was he was also Me Too. He was yes, he was Me Too. Uh, okay, but so you he know, was a perpetrator, not a victim like me. No, no, he was okay. a perpetrator. <laughs> You know, he's, he, I think he's going the Aziz Ansari route, which is just, you know, back away slowly into the bushes, just like Homer Simpson. <laughs> just pretend like, you know, never admit to anything, but also pretend like it never happened. So, well, I, I'll give credit. I don't like Aziz Ansari as a comedian, but I will I will say his his me tooing just sounded like a bad hookup or something. Yeah, it just, um, it, yeah, that was really more of a bad date. So, yeah. But, yeah. Like, that's, but that's the precarious situation he's in. He can't just be like, laugh it off and make it sound like it's nothing. So, no, know. yeah. Yeah. It's obviously very serious, but like, yeah, the got to take a dip. The fact that it was, yeah, the fact that it was done as like a, a first person account in New York Magazine or something. Like. No, it wasn't even like a reputable. It was like this like blog. It's like oh really? Okay. Yeah, it wasn't even like you know, and they didn't give him the the kind of in journalism you technically give your like the the rule of thumb is you give your you know subject twenty four hours to respond with any further questioning before publication. They did not do mm-hmm. that. So you know there was some there was also some journalistic lapse of ethics there. But you know like again it's why are we re-educating this? It's uncomfortable. No, to talk yeah, about. let's yeah we're obviously not qualified to comment on this. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, again, let's run out of, let's run out of the room swiftly. Um, <laughs> And just say, uh, we hope you watch uh, Midnight Cowboy with us uh, in two weeks from now. And uh, until then, thank you, everybody, for listening. And until next time, keep aspiring. You wanna... You wanna hot body? You wanna move body? You wanna Maserati? You better work, bitch. You wanna Lamborghini? Sit in martinis? Look hot in a bikini? You better work, bitch. You wanna live fancy? Live in a big mansion? Party in France? You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. You better work, bitch. You better work.